0: Hey, guys, this is so fun. Uh, My name is Tony. I'm on staff here with this college ministry, and um, thank you very much. Very kind. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, If you guys are new here to this ministry, which seems like a lot of you guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time to come into an environment like this. If you have any questions on what we talk about tonight, we'd love to get to know you more. And tonight, we are continuing our God's Heart series, okay? So we're going to be in the book of Amos, okay? Famous Amos. Not the same guy. I checked. But very exciting. Amos is where we'll be. If you've got a Bible, open up to Amos, Amos chapter five. We're gonna be camping out about six verses. Very beautiful, juicy verses. So very excited about that. Guys, I just wanna reiterate what Rachel freaking said. Okay, listen, listen. Student leadership, applying for leadership was one of the best decisions of my life. Guys, in my wedding, most of the guys at my wedding were salt leaders with me. They're my homies, okay? Get this, this is gonna express my love for them. Every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m., my co-leader and I get together to live together. Junior year of college till now. That was like 50 years ago, and we still live together. You want that type of friendship? Apply for leadership. Okay, that's helpful. It may be the only helpful thing you get tonight. That's helpful. Okay. All right, let me pray as we get into our time together. Father, what a joy it is to gather together. chance to open your word, the chance to look at your face, the chance to sing songs out to you. I never want to get sick of moments like this, moments where we can come together, where the noise of our lives can be silenced, where the cadence of our hearts can be slowed as we sit under the teaching of the word and worship a king who has died and resurrected again for us. That for maybe a lot of us, Thursday nights at 8 p.m. is when we see clearly, we can see the beauty of Jesus. Jesus and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that we get to gather. This isn't something we have to do, this is something we get to do, and I just wanna say thank you for that. Thank you for the opportunity to be your kid. Thank you that when I was vulnerable in my sin, you came and got me. Thank you for the miraculous grace of gathering together to worship you. In your name we pray, amen, amen. Have you guys ever noticed there are some pretty real inconsistencies in life, things that don't line up? How about the gosh darn ice cream machine and McDonald's? Inconsistent as heck, okay? Available on Tuesday, not available on Wednesday. Boo, I want that crap all the time, sucks. Second thing I thought of, printers? Yeah, when's the last time you've had a printer that works every time you want it to? Never, ain't no printers be no faithful, okay? Horrible. Minnesota sports, you guys feel me? I'm just saying, Vikings win by seven or lose by 700, okay? Why is the gap so big? You ever have that thought? You get it. Some of you guys, it's too personal. You're like, ah, it hurts. Minnesota Springs, when does it start? March or May? You know what I mean? It's like, what the heck? Snow in May is offensive to my soul. Do you feel that? It's tragic, it's tragic. Hard turn, as you guys know how this goes. Hard turn from ice cream machines to our secular post-Christian culture desiring justice. I know, you're like, how the heck does that? How compute? I know, that's my plan, to tell you about it. Here's what our culture desires. Our culture desires a world and environment where everyone, regardless of the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their gender, their socioeconomic status, all has the same dignity. That we are equal, right? Which as Christians, we can say, amen, am I right? Beautiful. Here's a distinction between the secular view of justice and the biblical view of justice. The reality about the secular view of justice is that it's not rooted in Christ. It's rooted in our boy Charles. Charles Darwin. Okay. Any science majors? Yeah. You guys get it. You took biology. Good for you. Good for you. Charles Darwin. Here's what Chuck said. Okay. We're on a first name basis. He's dead, I think, from like a while ago. But anyways, that's not the point. You guys know. Chuck, you know. that's how I think in my brain. Here's what Charles said about humanity that you, as a human being in the atheistic, post secular, post Christian, secular construct, are an accidental combination of atoms. I know, very soft. That you came here because you survived as the fittest of many other you know, evolved species that could have been here. And that ultimately your life was not designed by meaning or purpose, and so therefore your life does not have meaning or purpose. I recognize that's dark. But that's what Chuck believes. And if you get at the root of the atheistic worldview, here's what you're gonna find. You're gonna find no ideological basis for the idea of human rights. I know, again, very dark. This is what Yuval Harari, which I think is an incredible name, said. He said, human rights is a Christian myth. Think about that. He's a renowned atheist who wrote the book Sapiens that actually describes the way that human beings came to be. And he says, you know that idea of human rights? That is a myth founded upon Christian values and the person of Jesus, but it has not anything to do with the ideological roots of atheism. Here's my inconsistency point. I know some of you guys are like, I didn't come here to get a lecture about ideology. Well, you did, okay? That's what you came here for. Sorry to bum you out. Here's my point. We live in a culture that really, really values justice, values the dignity of every single human being, values them no matter what their fitness level is. Does that make sense? And we live in a culture that has no basis for human rights. So here's my main idea as we enter into our time together. Some of you guys are thinkers and you're like, wow, this is incredible. Some of you guys are like, what the heck is he talking about? I hate this. I'm sorry. Here's my point. Our secular post-Christian atheistic worldview is incredibly inconsistent by holding a view where Charles is more important than Christ and that human beings are all made with dignity. It is an inconsistent worldview, and I would argue it's an incredibly flimsy worldview. Here's why I say that. If you talk to a consistent atheist and you ask them, why does every single person have rights? Like why do me and Jalil and Elon Musk, like why are we the same, you know? We're not, we're not, like he's way better than us, but you know, in terms of dignity. Why, why, (laughs) he's better than us, it's true. Um, Why, why is the person in poverty the same value and dignity as Elon Musk and Bill Gates? If you ask them why, you would ask them that. Here's the answer, they would say, it's because we all know it's true, right? And because I feel like it's true. Fundamentally, atheistic, secular thinking is based on feelings. But let me ask you a question. Do you think MLK Jr. getting hosed down in the streets, imprisoned, willing to die for justice, do you think he did that based on feelings? No, he did it based on a deep-rooted belief in the biblical vision of justice. That's a distinction we're gonna be talking about tonight. How do we not buy in to the false, flimsy views of cultural justice based not on any ideological thinking except a feeling, but we actually look at the beautiful, radically amazing biblical vision of justice that is based in the person of Christ. Open up your Bibles with me to Amos chapter five. Amos chapter five. Here's what I want you to know. Here's my big idea, okay? True justice, that of biblical justice and that of Christ, is uncomfortable. Bummer, yes, it's uncomfortable. Here's two reasons why it's uncomfortable from Amos chapter five. It is an uncomfortable because it's personal. It's personal. And the second reason why it's uncomfortable is because it calls out religious hypocrisy, okay? I'm gonna smile a lot while I preach a sermon, but it's really intense, okay? So sorry, but open up your Bibles. Amos chapter five is where we'll be. Let's begin with it's personal. Here's what verse 18 says. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? Bit of a buzzkill. <laughs> it's just true. Let me give you the context. The entire book of Amos is about one thing, the heart of God and the justice of God. But here's the problem with the people that God is talking to in this time. Israel kind of got a little bougie, okay? During this time, they started making some money. You know, they got raises. 401K, ooh, what a match. Amazing. Progressive in terms of economic opportunity. But as they got richer, they started to forsake the heart of God more. And so here's what they would do. They would take the law of God, which reflected the heart of God, that reflected the justice that he wanted for the poor and and, um, marginalized, and instead of living in a life of justice in accordance with the heart of God, their culture became one of idolatry and injustice. A rich culture with idolatry and injustice that deemed that culture normal, much like the culture we live in today. And up until this point, in Amos chapter 1 and 2, guys, this is great. I love this. God starts going off on the, you know, the enemies of Israel, which Israel was the people of God, if you don't know. He starts going off against the enemies of Israel. He's like, man, look at all those people, all injustice, ooh, boo, boo. And then the Israelite people be like, yes, yes, that's awesome, go get them. Here's the problem. If you map out all the people, it was like God was calling out like North Dakota and Canada. I don't know why I mentioned North Dakota so much in my sermons. I just don't like it as a state. But anyways, North Dakota, Canada, Iowa, you know, Illinois. It's, not, it's a great state, I guess, for some of you. But you know, for the rest of us, it, here's what I'm saying, God begins to call out the injustice in all these places around Israel, and if you map it out, it creates a crosshair, and Israel is in the smack dab middle of it, okay? <laughs> so here's what God does in Amos 5. He begins to point the crosshair at the people of God, and he says, you guys are the problem. I'm not calling out the sin in other people. I'm not calling out the sin in the enemies around you. I'm looking at you and saying, you are are the problem. Here's why that's uncomfortable, is because it's incredibly personal. It's incredibly personal. Here's here's what I want you to understand. Guys, I'm gonna say some crazy things tonight, but we'll see how this goes. In our culture, the way that you pursue justice is you just like tweet about it, honestly. Like as long as you're like public about your opinions, that's pursuing justice. Our culture says if you want to pursue justice, just blame them. Have you guys ever noticed when you think about something that's broken and full of injustice in this world, what's the first word that comes out of your mouth? My guess for most of us, it'd be they, okay? Those people, the ones I hate, those. My guess it would be those people. The rich white people, the black people, whatever it is, whatever those people are, the Republicans, the liberals, I don't know. I don't know what your political stance. I'm just saying my guess is when we think about the brokenness of this world, we like to think it's about them. Here's what culture wants to teach you. It wants to teach you to say they're the problem. Here's what the Bible wants to teach you. It wants you to teach you to say I'm the problem. See what God is doing in Amos 5 is He's taking a magnifying glass up to the heart of the people of God and saying, If you see brokenness around you, do you know why that is? It's because of you, it's because of your own sin and your own injustice and your own brokenness. It's incredibly personal and it's incredibly uncomfortable. Okay, that's the bad news. Here's the good news, okay? When you actually acknowledge that you're a part of the problem and the brokenness of this world, that your sin leads to the injustice all around you, it is not only personal, it is incredibly powerful. Here's what I mean. Guys, listen, let's just call, let's just cut the crap, okay? Let's just say you and I, all of us, all of us, right? We're just like pointing at other people. You're like, oh, oh, the reason why there's homelessness is because of that person. The reason why there's sexual abuse in our nation is because of that person. The reason why there's fatherliness is because of that person. Well, let me just ask you a hypothetical question. If we all just point at other people, who does the work of justice? If all we do is tweet about the brokenness of this world, but we don't actually get into the depths of the brokenness of this world and love people the way Jesus loved us, then who does the justice work? Listen, it is an incredibly personal call that God is going to push into your heart through Amos 5 that you are part of the problem. But let me tell you, the encouraging thing is it's incredibly powerful. You get to be a part of the transformative work of what God wants to do here in St. Paul. We'll talk more about how later, but I just want to lay out initially the reason why true justice is uncomfortable is because it's personal. Second thing I want to point out is that true justice calls out religious hypocrisy. Religious hypocrisy. Look with me to verse 21. I hate. I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Guys, this passage is so cool because it is one of the most famous passages because MLK quoted this in his I Have a Dream speech. He said, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. But as we look at verse 21, here's what I want you to see, that God hates religious hypocrisy. Not just mildly dislikes. You know what I mean? Like you look at this and you're like, God, that seems like a little bit extra. Like, are you sure? He hates it. He looks at the people of God and says, you know what? I hate that you sing songs about me, but your heart does not reflect my heart. He's like, your your solemn assemblies, your heart doesn't reflect my heart. your your pretty prayers, your cool songs, your offerings to me. I hate that because there are people in this world that desperately need you to have the heart of God and you don't. He hates that the people of God were singing songs to him without reflecting his heart of him. Guys, listen. I know, I know this is an uncomfortable sermon. I'm uncomfortable preaching it, so I can't even imagine how it's uncomfortable for you listening to it. But let me tell you this. I've experienced enough college ministry to know that it is way harder to meet someone in their lowest moment that is vulnerable in our society and walk with them than it is to say a couple woke things about justice. Guys, I'm for it. I'm an ethnic minority. I grew up in poverty. I hated white people all my life, and God had to sanctify me for that. I know what it feels like to have this deep desire for the world to be reunified, but let me tell you this very clearly. If you want to be a part of justice in St. Paul, you have to do more than just talk about it. You have to do more than just post about it. You have to do more than just put it in your Instagram bio. It is so much easier to say things that are religious-sounding than to actually do things that reflect the heart of God. Listen, I love that you're here. Like, honestly, we're, the, the irony is we're about to sing songs, right? So I understand. Like, it's like, oh, no, should we not sing? We should still sing. That Don't not sing. That's bummer. But it's that if this room doesn't change the world out there, then what are we doing? If we get together in our Christian huddle and we're like, ooh, how fun is it to be a Christian? So fun, you know? That was the hips. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. We do not video our services, which is good for all of us, okay? Sorry. But if this room doesn't change the world out there, then God is going to start saying things about salt company that he said to Amos. He's going to start saying things like, I hate your pretty worship. I hate your solemn assemblies. I hate your sacrifices you offer to me. If we do not have the heart of God, then we will not be able to reflect God to a watching world and do the mission that he's called us to. He hates it, he hates it, okay? The last thing I wanna say about biblical justice, being uncomfortable, and then we're gonna kind of get into the pragmatics, is that it is incredibly costly. I know, this is kind of like an anti-hype sermon, okay? So if there's like inspiration, ooh, do all this justice, I'm gonna just give you the real doing justice is not cool i don't know how i got cool like in our modern day it is not cool when you do justice it will cost you something does it make sense guys i had this insight while i was reading this text i was like wow that's good here's what god was revealing to me when you actually do justice like true justice not like the cultural justice not the justice based upon pity like oh i feel bad for you so i'll do something for you no bs that sucks But true justice, the justice of God, the heart of God revealed to a broken world where people are struggling and dying every single day. If you do real justice, you know what that feels like to you? It feels like injustice. It feels like you're being walked on. It feels like you're being taken advantage of. It feels like you're being used. See, this is the shadow side of the woke justice culture is people aren't telling you that if you wanna live a life of justice, it's gonna take you 60 years to make a meaningful impact and it's gonna hurt like hell. If you wanna do justice, here's what I want you to know, it will cost you. It will make you sacrifice things in your life you do not wanna give up. So you better have it better more than a feeling. You better have more than an ideological basis and a feeling, you better have belief that what you're doing matters to God and reflects the heart of God. Okay, so that's pretty deep, all right? That's the theological framework. Now you might be asking me, Tony, what? Okay, that's great. How do we actually do the thing? Great, two two categories, okay? Two categories of how to do justice. The first one is philosophical and the second one is practical, okay, philosophical. Here's the philosophical category. You need to develop a deep-rooted theology about biblical justice, all right? Here's what my boy Alex Tuckness said. He's a professor. Here's what he said. Biblical justice is treating people in a way that accords with their status as image bearers with a special care for the vulnerable and the goal that people would live flourishing under God's design. Fire. Take a picture of that. Snap it. Remember it. Okay? Here are the three different categories that Alex Tuckness wants us to know as we look at biblical justice. The first one is treating people with dignity because of their status as image bearers of God. Guys, this is so stinking beautiful, and I need you to know this. The reason why we have biblical justice is because from Genesis to Revelation, God has given us a specific design for every single human being. That means regardless of their ethnicity, their skin color, their gender, whatever their background is, that they have an image of God living in them. This is a Imago Dei. This is the reason why we care about people. It's not because we feel like it. It's not because we pity them. But it's because every single person that you see in this room and outside of this room is made in the image of God. And here's what that gives them. Unbelievable dignity which means a homeless guy that lives on the corner of your street, unbelievable dignity, which means every person in your life that you don't want to be with because they're different than you, unbelievable dignity. That is what God promises us. So what do we do as a reflection of the image of God? We treat them as so. Every single person you meet, you treat like royalty because they reflect the king of the universe. Does this make sense? That's part one. Second part is we have a special care for the vulnerable. Guys, if you read the Gospels, You cry because here's what Jesus does. He consistently seeks out a special care for the vulnerable, like almost all of his miracles. It's honestly kind of annoying. Like there's a couple rich people that he like converts, you know, but you know, pretty much everyone else, it's like the blind, the woman, the adulterer, the sinner, the people who are far gone, Jesus goes to them in uncomfortable justice special care for the vulnerable. So for us in our society, it would be the disadvantaged, the disabled, the marginalized, the economically impoverished. We as Christians, according to the word of God, have a special care for the vulnerable of our city. Third thing, on a plan of flourishing. Okay, have you guys ever heard? We're not just trying to give out handouts. We're trying to give hand ups. Okay, we're not just trying to give things away, although giving things away is good, but we're trying to develop systems and places where people can be flourished and renewed because they're image bearers of God. Flourishing is the goal. Okay, so here's what the Bible cares about in regards to justice, okay? It has a womb-to-tomb theology of the image of God. Womb-to-tomb, write that down. Womb-to? Thank you, amazing. Here's what that means theologically. The Bible, when you read it, has a deep desire for the unborn to be cared for. Why? Is it because they're cute? No, it's because they're made in the image of God. That is the doctrine by which we care about the unborn. Second thing it cares about is racial injustice. Guys, how inconsistent is it if Christianity cares about the unborn but doesn't care about black people being shot in the streets? That is a major inconsistency. So we need to actually be biblical and balanced and say we care about the unborn and we care about black men being shot in the streets. Does it make sense? Okay. Other things we care about. We care about economically disadvantaged people. We care about immigrants. We care about the hospice care system because the elderly matter to god they're not just dead to the world they're alive in christ if they're a believer and if not they image god so this is what we care about and listen i just said that and i made everyone mad in this room okay like 100 percent of people like "Mm, i hate him yeah that's what you feel don't hate me hate the bible you know don't actually hate the bible read it it's good for you But here's what the beauty of the Bible is. Irregardless of your political leaning, irregardless of any of your ideologies, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender, okay? It will offend you, all of us, because God's heart is different than our heart. God's heart is actually different than our heart. We tend to want to do justice for the people that we like or that we agree with or that fit our little ideology, but God's heart wants to do justice for the entire world. Does that make sense? Okay, that is the image of God doctrine all right that's the philosophical let's get practical okay practical what do you actually do right tony you talk about justice all the time what do you actually do two categories again sorry lots of categories but you know this is a little bit of a heady topic wow (laughs) that was like the most satisfying sneeze to hear in my life i was like good for you that's how i felt i was like wow that felt that probably felt amazing you were holding that in for like 25 minutes (laughs) sorry it's been a long sermon i understand all right, let's talk about it. Corporate and personal. Corporate and personal. Practical implications. Corporate. What the heck are we doing as a salt company to see justice happen in St. Paul? Good question. Guys, listen, we're limited. Okay, I'll say it. We're college ministry. You guys don't give. Tithe. Whatever. That's fine. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying we're college ministry. Okay. So here's our plan. Our hope is to partner with St. Paul Central this coming fall. St. Paul Central is a school that's about three minutes from here. It's majority-minority and has quite a few students who are under the poverty line. And so we want to actually help that school by being a volunteer force. So the hope is that we partner with them. We've been talking to Tamiko from St. Paul Central. Shout out to our girl. She's great. Our hope is to begin partnering with them by sending, I don't know, 20 to 40 of you guys to be weekly volunteers in the local, local school to help students who are struggling in class economically, or sorry, educationally develop and maybe even share the way that you've been loved by Christ with them. We want to start with 20 to 40 students to begin a program in partnership with St. Paul Central with the eventual vision that one day there will be hundreds if not thousands of college students spread around this district of St. Paul helping schools that are underfunded and under-resourced be flourishing. Does that make sense? So watch out for that next fall. You should really jump into that because it's great. Second thing that we're doing is, guys, the vulnerable on your college campuses tend to be ethnic minorities. That's not always true. There are also lots of vulnerable people on every one of your college campuses, but we have a specific heart for multi-ethnic vision here. The way that we're doing that is by the grace of God, we have a majority minority staff team. We have a really, really big heart for that. That's not because we don't care about everyone, but we understand that ethnic minorities in the city of St. Paul are under-resourced in terms of spiritual homes. So we wanna provide that for them. The third thing corporately is our church, Redemption Church. We meet downtown St. Paul in the Intercontinental, shout outs. That's a part of a great song. So anyways, but we meet in that uh, uh, hotel. Our church partners with tons of nonprofits across the Twin Cities to further develop economic development as well as help to just help people who are in vulnerable situations. So that's what we're doing corporately. Okay, what do we do personally? You're like, okay, that's great. I'll jump into that if I can. What do we do personally? Okay, here's my encouragement for you. If you wanna do justice personally, like you can't like save the world from the sin curse, okay? You as a single college student will not like, whoa, change the world but you can do something to love someone someday in one moment, okay? Here's my encouragement for you. If you have a heart for something, start doing something slowly, sustainably, long-term. When I was in college, I worked downtown, and I saw a ton of homeless people every single day, but I had no idea how to interact with them because I was awkward, okay? I didn't know what to say. I was like, hi, my name's Tony. You know, it's, it's weird, It was weird. So I found an organization called Union Gospel Mission. And when I was in college, I just went by myself, drove over there, started scooping out some meals, and it was a blast. It was great. I wasn't great at it initially because the portion size is kind of hard to manage. But it was awesome. And it started from scooping out some meals every other Saturday. And I got to have just conversations with some of these guys and share the love of Christ with them. And then we started putting on chapel services where we started doing Bible preaching and worship. And it was this incredible thing. Listen, I don't know what God is going to call you to do. But not, none of us can, like, heal the sin curse because that's Jesus. But all of us can do something. Okay? So if we want to be consistent with the biblical view of justice, let's begin by doing something. All right, as I call the worship band back up, I know that was a lot. This was for sure one of the most heady sermons I've ever had, okay? So come back in the future. Anyways, let's call the worship band back up. I wanna ask the question why? Why does this matter? Why pursue biblical justice? If biblical justice is uncomfortable because it's personal, it actually requires us to look within our souls and be like, oh, my sin. (laughs) Bummer, you don't want that. If it's uncomfortable because it's personal and it's uncomfortable because it requires us to look at our religious hypocrisy and not just sing songs about God, but to actually have the heart of God, if it's uncomfortable and costly, why do we do it? Okay, two reasons, two reasons why we do this. Why do we pursue biblical justice? Is it because the culture wants us to? Heck no, we don't take cues from culture, screw that. It's not because culture wants us to, but it is because God's reputation is at stake in the world, Salt Company. Let me make that unbelievably clear. God's reputation is at stake on your college campuses. And how you become a helper of the mission of God to go forward is to actually reflect the heart of God in every way, in the way that you live, in the way that you worship, in the way that you fight sin, but also in the way that you pursue justice. Like, this matters to God. Like, literally, Amos is an entire book about God roasting Israel because they're being unjust. I don't want us to become that, you know? Like, please, God, don't roast us. Like, don't you feel that? God's reputation is at stake in the world, and the second reason why is because Jesus was the perfect embodiment of a radical justice. Guys, I, I grew up in this, uh, in this school where we had bars on our windows. I was one of the only non-black kids in my school. We, went to, we grew up in an apartment complex with mostly immigrants and single moms. And for most of my life, honestly, this is gonna sound pretty raw, but I didn't want things to do with God because I just assumed that God wouldn't want things to do with someone as broken as me. I didn't wanna do things I don't want to move towards Christianity because I just assumed that that religion had nothing to do with broken people like me. But then, guys, I started reading the Gospels. Like, have you ever read the Gospels? They're so good. Like, you read it and you're like, oh, Jesus' heart is so much bigger than mine. Like, he's so much better than I am at loving, hurting people. And he starts doing things like healing blind beggars that no one else would even come near he starts going to paralyze men and offering them freedom and life and mobility again. He starts going to women who no one would talk to but a rabbi would go to. He starts doing crazy things. Jesus Christ embodied uncomfortable justice time and time again. If you've ever read the gospels, you know this. But here's maybe the most beautiful part about this book that God revealed to me as I was studying Amos, is the greatest injustice in this world is not the stuff that happens out there, but that I sinned against a holy and perfect God. That's the greatest injustice. And in order to fulfill justice to that injustice, Jesus Christ himself would subjugate him under the wrath of injustice of the world. Listen, some of you guys are like, man, you're like, this Christianity thing, I don't even know if I wanna be a part of it. I don't even know if Jesus Christ actually knows how I am guys he knows listen the gospel say that the foxes had dens, but the son of man had nowhere to lay his head he knows he knows what it feels like to experience the injustice of this world up to the point that he would be stripped of his dignity on a cross guys some of you guys have seen cool pictures about Jesus and he's got like a cloth around his you know hip on the cross no they stripped him completely naked whipped him and spit on him and killed him in an unjust world, he experienced the injustice of the world so that he could pardon our injustice of sin against him. Jesus Christ is the most beautiful person to ever live. So why do we do justice? Why do we say, Jesus, I want biblical justice. I want the real thing. I don't want the flimsy thing of culture. I want you. Why do we do justice? Because Jesus Christ was willing to fight injustice by dying for us. So we pursue justice for people who do not yet know him and need us to fight for them. Let me pray as we enter back into worship. Father, tonight isn't about what we do. It's about what you've done for us. And Lord, I just pray that tonight everyone in this room gets a renewed vision that we're not after cultural justice. We're not after flimsy justice that's based on feelings. We are after true justice. True justice that can only come from believing in the Son of Man coming from heaven to earth to die for us. That's the only route by which we can actually be a part of redemption change, redemptive change in St. Paul for the next 60 years of our lives. Father, if we want real justice, true justice, then we must see the one who was rich in heaven who became poor so that those who are spiritually poor like us could be rich in heaven. We must see that you came to embody uncomfortable justice perfectly so as a response to that lord the only thing we can do the only natural response to news that good and a jesus that beautiful and a god that kind is to say father i want to pursue true justice i don't want the fake stuff i want the real stuff i'm all in father thank you that while i was vulnerable in my sin you came and got me and thank you that tonight you're chasing people down Father, would you give us a renewed vision for the rest of our lives? It's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen.